The Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Truth and Dare. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil encourages us to look at faith's final exam as we consider the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Listen as we're given some pointers on how to pass the test. We're challenged with the question, what is genuine faith? And the point is made that when we're faced with a situation and don't have an answer, we should always go with obedience. Okay, boys and girls, put your textbooks away, put your notes away, pull out a piece of paper and a pen. We have a pop quiz this morning. You guys remember when teacher would say that? I hated when they would say that. I'd be kind of looking as quickly as I could to, to see if I could remember what she's going to do or, you know, whether, whether it's in college or in high school, you know, quizzes and tests and exams, honestly, they're part of the educational process. It's just what happens when you go to school. In fact, if we're honest, it's part of the learning process. Uh, I, I always was motivated to study and learn the material if I knew I had a test coming up, if I knew I had a final coming up, right? Uh, in fact, every once in a while, I'd have one of those classes. Remember, you've had one of these classes where there was no test. There was kind of like, just show up and make sure you do the reading. And there's a, I never learned as much in those classes as I did in the ones where I had a test and a final. Because it forces you to study. It forces you to study. I remember this one class that I had in college. Sandy and I, we didn't have a lot of overlap classes. She was an accounting major. I was a business major. And every once in a while, we had a class that overlapped. One class that overlapped, I remember, really tough class. It was an international economics class. And the teacher was really tough, and he gave really hard tests. And this one midterm came along. And after the midterm, we were outside the classroom. And, and uh, you know, I asked her, how'd you do? And Sandy said, oh, man, I think I bombed it. I did not do well on that last essay question, and I just, I do not think I did that great, right? And she asked me, how do you think you did? And I was like, I slayed it. I killed it. I mean, I was on fire on this test, right? So about a week later, we go, and we get our papers back, and after class, you know, uh, she asked me, how did you do? And I said, 89, right? For me, that was pretty good. I wasn't a great student. I was a good student. And in a tough tough class, tough exam, I was like, 89. I thought I was really happy. I said, how do you do? She said, 96. I said, 96? I thought you bombed it. She goes, yeah, look it. He took four points off that last essay question. I was so ticked off, you know? For two weeks later, I remember, we didn't date a lot. Um, and it only dated to my senior year in college. We didn't meet until then. And I remember two weeks after that, two weeks after that, she was going to a class. We had just had lunch at the cafeteria. And we were, you know, and, and, and I was walking her to class. And I said, hey, hey, I got an idea. How about you skip class and just hang out with me for a couple hours? She stopped. She looked at me dead in the eye, real serious. And she she said this to me. She said, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Now, when she said that, two things happened. One, I was incredibly upset. And two, I was incredibly attracted to her. I was like, she is smarter than I am. And she puts me in my place quoting King James Bible. That's sexy right there. You know? Like four months later, we were engaged, you know? Today, we're going to talk about college, and we're going to talk about tests, and we're going to talk about final exams. If you take your study guide, that's what we're talking about today. We are wrapping up our study in the, in the life of Abraham. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed studying it. And today is his final exam, right? To, to, you know, now here's what's, what's crazy about today, Genesis chapter 22. Um, it's a pop or surprise final exam. 
That's cold right there, right? A pop quiz, a surprise quiz is one thing. Can you imagine if your professor surprised you with the final exam? It's exactly what happens to Abraham today. Um, God, Genesis chapter 2 says, okay, Abraham, you know, all these years we've had a relationship with, today comes your final exam. And what happens today determines whether you will be called the father of faith, you will be one of the superstars in the Bible or not. It's, it's a big, big deal. And what, what I want to share with you today is what happens, it, what do you and I do when we get a final exam? What, what do we do when God gives us a test? Here's how the story starts in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. God, sometime later, God, he tested Abraham. He gave an exam. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Now, before we jump into our sermon notes and we talk about our cheat sheets and what are we going to do to make sure we get an A with God, um, I, I need to make sure we, we talk about the confusion that some people have about God and testing us and what does he do and how does he do it and why does he do it. Let me explain the confusion, try and help get us to the point where we can then get back to Genesis 22. There are two verses in the New Testament that seem to contradict each other. Here's where they are. Let's put them on the screen. Luke chapter 11 is part of the Lord's Prayer. We've all kind of memorized the Lord's Prayer. We don't even think about it sometimes. We just kind of spout it off. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And God, lead us not into temptation. Now, the implication of that phrase in that prayer, dear God, please, please don't lead me into temptation, is occasionally he does do that. And we're just hoping, oh God, please don't do that because I, you know, I don't want that. That's the implication of that phrase. The problem is that in James chapter 1, we read this. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted, nor does God tempt anyone. So the question is, well, wait a minute, time out. Does he or does he not tempt us? Does he or does he not test us? Because some of these verses seem to be communicating something differently. And, and if he does, why does he do it, Right? Let me help you understand, at least from a New Testament perspective, what is happening in these verses, and then we'll come back to Genesis 22 and the tests that we're all going to get put through through the life of Abraham. In James 1 and Luke 11, they both use the same word. Let me show you what it is. It's the word, the Greek word, perasmos. And the Greek word perasmos literally means trial. Now, what you have to understand, though, is that it is translated as either test or temptation, depending on the context and the passage. A perosmos can be either a temptation or it can be a, a test, a time of testing. What, what happens whether you're going through a financial test or, or you're going through a, a physical test, your body is falling apart, or whether you're going through a family trial, perosmos, it can either be a test that God brings out the best in you or it can be Satan tempting us to bring out the worst in us. Do, do you see what I'm saying here? So now what happens is you and I should immediately ask, well, the situation I'm going through now, the perasmos I'm going through now, the trial I'm going through now, which one is it? Is it the top of the screen, God testing me to bring the best out in me? Or is it the bottom of the screen, God, uh, Satan tempting me? Which one is it? And the answer is sometimes I don't know. I mean, the issue that some of you are having at work, I, I, I don't know which one it is. Right? If it was easy to identify who was behind it, God or Satan, it would be easy. But it's not always that easy. So the answer to which one it is, it's either you have to find out who's behind it, or here's the key. It depends on how you handle it. 
So how you handle your perasmos, how you handle your trial, your physical trial, your financial trial, your family trial, how you handle it depends on whether it's the top of the screen or the bottom of the screen. Have you ever noticed two people go through the exact same problem and they approach it completely differently? One person comes out of the perasmos, the trial, and they're bitter at God. Oh, they are upset. And another person goes through the exact same situation and they become better. God uses it to strengthen them and to mature them and to develop them. Whatever trial you're going through right now, what, uh, whether it's the top of the screen or the bottom of the screen, it's really up to you. It's really up to you. Now, this morning, you, you see how I'm trying to clear it up? This morning, it's obvious because in Genesis 22, it starts with God. It's very, very obvious God is testing him. One of the things you need to understand about your journey of faith is that tests... And exams and pop quizzes are part of the spiritual journey. It's just part of the journey. You got to be ready for them. Don't be surprised when they come your way. Right. Now, what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you a cheat sheet. I'm going to give you a cheat sheet so that when you have a test, when you have a test, you get an A. Right. Here's the the, the first thing you got to understand. Let's put the first verse up there and we'll talk about it. Genesis 22, verse 2. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, I realize many of you grew up in church. Many of you went to Sunday school class and vacation Bible school and confirmation. So you know the story of Genesis 22. We got to verse 2 and you're already skipping ahead to verse 15 and you know how it turns out. Thumbs up. Everything's good. What I need you to do is I need you to take the rest of the story and like an etch-a-sketch, I need you to shake it and in your mind I need you to forget about how it ends. And for the moment, right now, verse 2, I need you to be in the moment. I need you to be horrified by what God is asking of Abraham. You want me to do what? Yeah, what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to take your boy... And I'm going to have you take a knife and I'm going to have you plunge it into his chest. And and I'm going to need you to do that over and over again until he's gone. See, we we skip past verse 2 too quickly. Now, Abraham is living in Canaanite territory. It's called the promised land, except he and his family have not conquered it yet. Do they not own it yet? They're amongst pagan Canaanites. The Canaanite pagan religion was accustomed to sacrifices, human sacrifices. Abraham has either seen human sacrifice or has heard of it. So this idea is not foreign to him. Now, what he does not know is that about 30, 40 pages to the right in the Bible, God is going to give Moses a command. And one of the laws is going to be human sacrifices for my people are completely out of bounds. You must not do them under any circumstance. But see, here's the thing. Genesis 22, Abraham doesn't know that yet. All he knows is that the creator of the universe has just given him a command. I want you to sacrifice your son. I must have been five years old, six years old. And I was riding my bicycle on my sidewalk um, right by the apartment complex where we lived in, in Barcelona, Spain. And I, I was riding as fast as I could and I got, to the, I got to the edge of the block and I went to turn my bike. I was going too fast. My bike went that way and I went that way into the street. And I flew and literally flew into a parked motorcycle. Fit right into the motorcycle. I don't know what I hit, 
But when I looked down, in fact, I looked at it this week because I, 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 I wanted to see it. I looked down and I saw a hole in my thigh and I could see my bone. Immediately, my parents grabbed me and they took me to the, the neighborhood clinic where we lived. Um, the people that were in with the doctor, they shoot them out. Everybody in the waiting room had to wait. They put me on a gurney. They sent me in. There was blood everywhere. You want to know the worst part of what happened to me that day? When I got in, the doctor gave me four quick shots. They were supposed to be anesthesia, except the, the wound was so bad, he didn't wait for the anesthesia to take place before he started sewing me up. But you know what was the worst part? It was not the pain. That wasn't the worst part of that, of that experience for me. Here was the worst part. I was kicking and screaming so bad that as the doctor worked on me on the left side, a nurse was holding me down. But the worst part was that on the right, my dad was holding me down. And I remember as a five-year-old boy trying to process, Dad, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting the guy with the white coat hurt me? Have you ever felt like that about your heavenly father? You've got a situation and it's painful. And you, there's, you get this sense that God's holding you down. And in the moment, I, I, don't get, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Now, of course, as I grew up and he explained to me, I got it. I, I got why he was doing it. But in the moment, I didn't get it. You see, when you go through a test, when you go through a trial, when there's problems and issues in your life, he, here's the first thing that you need to do. In humility, accept that God can do anything he wants to do. Because you see, he's God, and I am not. He's God, so he can do anything he wants to do. That's how the game goes. And I am not God. This is not profound, but it is incredibly significant and important. Here's what I need you to do. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not God. Go ahead and do it right now. It's going to feel good. See how good that feels? That was easy to do, right? It's easy to tell the person next to you you're not God, especially if they're family. You've been wanting to say that for a while. Here's what's hard. What's hard is to say it to yourself. You are not God. You are not allowed to do everything you want to do. He is. He is. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says this. Oh, you best be careful. Who do you think you are talking back to God? Who do you think you best be careful? You best be careful. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it's a famous Old Testament verse because of what it says. Here's what it says. The secret things belong to God. You know what that means? I am not God, so I don't understand everything about God. I don't understand what he does, everything. I'm not God. He is. See, the issue is not, do you understand it? The issue is not, does it make sense to you? The issue is, he is God and you are not. And that requires humility. To humbly accept that God can do whatever he wants in my life. Because he's God. He's God. When you're going through a trial and he asks you to do something, trust him. Trust him. I heard about this professor in college. 
uh, philosophy professor. He was given a, a, a final exam in logic. And he was, he was known to be a really, really tough test giver. And uh, so he made one concession to his students. And here was the concession. He said to the students, you are allowed to bring whatever you want by way of notes on one piece of paper. You could take one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and put whatever you want on that and bring it to the exam. And so, I mean, everybody, all the students were writing on that eight and a half piece of paper, you know, their own as small font as possible, front and back as much as they could, right? Bring it in, except one student. One student brought a blank piece of paper, nothing on it. And he went and he sat down at his desk and he put the piece of paper on the ground. And then he had a friend of his that was an advanced PhD philosophy student. And he walked him into the class and he had that PhD student stand right on the piece of paper. And then throughout the whole exam, he just whispered in the guy's ear and told him. And the guy said, you told me whatever I could fit on a piece of paper. Here's the thing. You're going to have tests. You're going to have final exams. And when you do, you, you best be sure Jesus is standing on your piece of paper. And whatever he whispers in your ear, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't understand it, in humility, believe him. Trust him. Because he's God and I am not. Okay? Story goes on. Here's what we read. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded the donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And then he had cut, cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. I, ha I met this one guy. Um, I must have been a teenager. He, uh, he wrote tests. He wrote standardized tests for different schools. And... Uh, and he was telling me, if you're taking a multiple choice test and you don't know what the answer is, right? And they don't penalize you for writing the wrong answer because some of those tests nowadays do. If you don't get penalized for writing the, the, the wrong answer and you don't know what the answer is, always put C. He was like, 50% of the times it's C. So every time I'm taking multiple choice, C. I, unless I know it, then I'm obviously I'm doing something else, right? But C. Right? Here's what I want to tell you. I'm trying to give you a little cheat sheet, right? When God gives you a multiple choice test and you're not sure which one to put down, always go with obedience as your answer. That's your default answer. Is it A? Is it B? Is it C? Is it, it, it's obedience. That's your, always your default answer. In this one verse, verse 3, we have at least four types of obedience that abraham shows let me let me show you what i mean i find the first one the most interesting one because he has just been asked to sacrifice his son and yet we read early the next morning it doesn't say next week it doesn't say after he sat down with the pastor it doesn't say after he put it on the prayer chain it, no it says right away early the next morning he gets up and we see immediate obedience from abraham can i ask you a question what are you delaying when it comes to obeying god you know what he wants you to do. You just aren't doing it yet. Because in your mind, it's not convenient, the timing. Could I make a suggestion? Immediate obedience. Do it now. Do it now. Because when you stop obeying, he stops directing in many cases. He's like, okay, they don't want my help. Let them have their own way. Immediate obedience. We also see that he loaded the donkey and he cut the word. Proactive obedience. It's one thing to say, yeah, God, I understand what you did. Yeah, I'll obey you. No, I'm sitting right here on the couch whenever you want to get going. 
No, no, no. It's another thing to be proactive, to be intentional, to go out of your way, to load the donkey, to cut the wood, to make the sandwiches. We're heading out on a trip. Be proactive. Be intentional about obeying God. Do what you got to do to make it happen. Right? And then it says that he took his servants and he took Isaac along with him. I didn't know what word to write in here. I don't care which one you put in your study guide. Uh, initially I had group obedience, then I put involving obedience, and then I, I, I landed on, decided on multiplying obedience. I don't care which word you use as long as you get the concept. Here's the concept. When it came to Abraham obeying the command of God, he very quickly realized, I can't obey God by myself. I must involve some servants and Isaac. And, and here's my point. One of the biggest mistakes we make when it comes to our faith journey is we forget that my faith is not to be a private faith. It is to be a group endeavor. When the Bible uses the word you in the Bible, very rarely is it first person singular. Very rarely is God saying you and you and you and you. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. It's not first person singular. When the Bible uses the word you, almost always it's third person Plural. It's really y'all. But because Paul wasn't from the South, he didn't say it like that. So we can't. Y'all. And for us to obey God, what you need to realize is it's not just about you. Who are you dragging with you into the kingdom? You see what I'm saying? He had to get at least his servants and Isaac. Who are you bringing with you? Who are you multiplying your faith into someone else? You best be thinking about who. Because I guarantee you get to heaven. He's going to ask you, why didn't you bring someone with you? A multiplying obedience. And then the last one, he went to the exact place God told him. Complete obedience. The exact place at the exact time for the exact purpose. Complete obedience. I grew up going to church. Small Baptist church. And uh, we used to th- we used to sing these things called hymns. You know about hymns, right? We we do them every once in a while. We just do them to electric guitar instead of you know organ. And I remember one hymn we used to do. It went like it was called "Trust and Obey." You remember "Trust and Obey"? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I know you're shocked, you know, you're shocked why joy doesn't want me on the worship team. I'm shocked as well. I don't get it. The podcast is up by Wednesday. You can download and listen to that over and over again. I know you'll want to. Okay, let's make sure we get this trust and obey because there's no there's no other way. Trust and obey because there's no other way. Trust and obey because there's no other way to do this faith journey. There's no other way. Now, by the way, just so we're clear, you know, um, the, the Bible is inerrant. The hymns aren't. The Bible is perfect. Hymns aren't. So when it says to be happy in Jesus, uh, no, not so much. Because you see, that's not his number one goal for your life. To be faithful in Jesus, yeah. But it doesn't rhyme, so we said happy in Jesus. So, you know, we sang it, no big deal. Right? Trust and obey. Where do you need to obey God? What does he want you to do that you're not doing? Are you doing it immediately, proactively? Are you bringing others with you? Or are you doing it completely? If you get a test, if you get an exam, here's your default answer. It's obedience. The story keeps going on, and here's what we read. Verse 4. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And I was talking to, to Joy this week and he mentioned it. I said, tell, tell, tell everybody in the middle of the worship. First time the word worship is used. Big deal. Big deal. First time the word worship is used. I read this one story. His name was uh, Dante Allegri. You and I just know him simply by his first name, Dante. He was uh, the Italian poet that wrote the Divine Comedy. Um, big deal. B- interesting, very powerful book. Um, he loved God. And the story is told how one day Dante in church was, was worshiping. He was engaged in worship. He had his eyes closed. He was praising God. And because he was so engaged in the worship, he, he missed the cue of when he was supposed to kneel. So everyone else knelt and, and Dante was still standing. And Dante's enemies went to the bishop and they told him what Dante did and they wanted to get him in trouble and we should punish him because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And Dante's response was this. If those who accuse me had had their eyes closed and their minds on God, as I had, they would have certainly not even noticed what I was doing. Worship is your third answer on your cheat sheet. Be humble enough to realize you're not God. Obey him and worship him. Now, here's the key about why this is so significant. This is at the beginning of the story. This is Abraham and Isaac going up Mount Moriah. I can't imagine a more difficult, more stressful time in the life of a father as verse four. He's leaving the servants behind. He's making sure I've got the knife. And he's going up to the top of the mountain. And yet, Abraham openly said, we're going to worship God. We're going to, see, here's the thing. Are you willing to worship God only when things are going great? Only when the finances are tight? Only when the family life is thumbs up? Because you see, that's not happening to Abraham in verse 4. It's not. Nothing could be further for the truth for Abraham in verse 4. You see, Passing the test that God gives you and getting an A requires you sacrificially express your love and your commitment to God through worship. I know some of you to the, are new to this church thing and you're trying to figure out what, what the first part of the service is and what's, you know, is the music just kind of warm up for Dave? No, it's worship. It's you saying, I don't care if life's good or bad. I don't care if I'm doing well financially or I'm broke. I don't care. I am going to express my love and my commitment to God. Sometimes you hear, you know, this is a time of praise and worship. But praise is when you and I acknowledge the goodness of God. Thank you for what you've given me. Worship is when you acknowledge the character of God. Praise and worship. And sometimes the songs have both of them in them. And sometimes they're one or more or the other. Praise and worship. I'm going to express my commitment to God, to Jesus. And I'm going to sacrificially worship him. One of the words that impresses me in this in this passage, I've circled it for you, is the word we. But it's not the first we in the verse, it's the second we. Did you catch it? We will worship, and then check it out. We will come back to you. Well, time out. Time out. Uh, are, are you not planning to follow through, Abraham, on what you promised God? Are you not going to follow? How are you going to we both come back down? In, 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 in Hebrews 11, we're told what he was thinking right here in verse 4. We're told that Abraham, in his mind, was thinking, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the top of Mount Moriah, and I'm going to obey my God, and I'm going to take that knife, and I'm going to plunge it into my son's chest, 
and then God's going to bring him back from the dead. You know what makes that so amazing is that Genesis chapter 22, nobody, nobody has been raised from the dead yet in this book. This is you talk about a man of faith. You see, he not only is willing to obey God, but he believes the best of God and the character of God. We will come back down. We will come back down. The story goes on in verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This, he's not a dumb kid. He's, he's gone to church before. He knows how this works. We sing a couple songs and then we have our sacrifices. The one thing we're missing is the, is the lamb. How are we going to pull this off? And Abraham says, um, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now stop right there. This is both a statement of faith. God will provide. But you know what? It's more than anything else. It's Abraham punting. You know why? He already knows who the lamb is. It's his boy. It's his boy. You know what's not in this story, and you have to fill in the dialogue, is what happened when they got to the top of the mountain. What happened when they got to the top of the mountain? Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Isaac, can can I talk to you for a second, son? What's up, Dad? You know how we said we love God? Yeah, we, our family, we love God. You know how we said we do what he wants us to do? We obey him and we trust him no matter what? Yeah, I know that. I need to tell you about a conversation I had with God yesterday. Can you imagine what he had to say to Isaac? You know what I wonder? Can you imagine what he had to say or what he was going to say to Sarah when he got back from all this? What was he going to say to the cops when he got back? I mean, there's so much in here. We don't kind of, we just kind of, uh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. My son, the two of them went on together when they reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, let me give you the cheat sheet real quick. The four answers, if you want to get an A with God, let's put it on the screen. Number one, humility. Remember, you're not God. Number two is obedience. Do what he said. Number three is worship. Express love to him. And the last one is submission. Now, someone told me, between services, my friend Vince, that I'm not going to get an A on this test because I misspelled submission. <clears throat> Some ambition. So you get it. Sorry, my bad. God, I'm not so good at spelling. God, God's all right if you misspell a word. But anyway, now some of you are looking at your notes and you're like, where do I fill this out? There's not a number four. I had to turn in my notes before I finished my study this week. And so I, these are not inerrant. Just write down number four, submission. Let me explain to you why this is so important. A lot of babies crying today. I think they don't like this sacrifice your kids story. You notice that? <laughs> They're like, this. I do not like the Bible. <laughs> Their parents are taking notes. This is a good sermon. <laughs> um, where am I? Oh, the misspelled word, submission. Everybody thinks Abraham is awesome. He's the man, and he is the man. But you know who I'm even more impressed with? I'm more impressed with Isaac. I'm more impressed with Isaac. You know why? Because Abraham is 100 plus years old. Isaac is 20. 
He's a stud. There's no way his senior citizen geriatric father is going to get him on that altar. You want to know how this worked out? Here's how it worked out. Yeah, dad, you, st- you just, no, be there, dad. No, I'm going to, I'm going to tie my feet. Okay, now you do the last tie. Okay, I'm, okay, now you, now you do the rest. Dad, you're going to have to do the last arm by yourself. You see, none of this happens without Isaac. What, what Abraham had to do is no fun. He had to obey. But what Isaac had to do is even harder for some of us. To be willing to submit. God, what's going to happen or what's happening in my life now doesn't feel good. I'm going to submit anyway to your will. I'm going to submit anyway. The whole story ends and we're wrapping up our whole series on Abraham. I'm going to wrap up by giving you a couple key characteristics of what real faith looks like. Let's put the last couple verses up there. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. You got to see that scene. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Stop. Stop. He said, don't do anything to him. Now notice, now I know. They've had a relationship for what, 20, 30 years? But now God says, now I know. Now, finally, you're going to get an A. Now I got it. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The last two things I want you to know about faith, and we wrap this up, is this. Here, let's put it up on the screen. Genuine faith is not just something you believe right here. Genuine faith is not just something you say right here. Genuine faith is not just something you feel right here. Oh, you cried for Jesus. Good for you. No, genuine faith. You want to know how we know if faith is genuine? It's based upon what you do. I mean, that's what James says. You go to James. James goes, honestly, I could care less what you what you believe. I could care less what you say. I could care less what you feel. Ultimately, I'm going to look and see what you do. Now, it matters what you believe, don't get me wrong, and it matters what you say, and it matters how you feel about God, but ultimately, what really matters is what are you doing? Don't tell me you believe in Jesus, don't tell me you want to follow him, and then leave here and do whatever you want to do. Ah, That says something about your faith, and it's not too good. One of my favorite stories, maybe, maybe my top five favorite stories of all time, was a story of a, a famous French tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. His greatest feat, Blondin's feat, happened on September the 14th, 1860. And what he did is he decided to be the first tightrope walker to string a rope from the Canadian side to the American side across the Niagara Falls and walk across it. It was in the newspaper and everybody was on both sides cheering him and they met him there and he walked across to the other side and everybody cheered and then he started getting really fancy. He blindfolded himself and walked to the other side and everybody cheered and then he rode a bicycle to the other side and everybody cheered and then he he had stilts and he went stilts to the other side and everybody cheered. And then he finally, he quieted the crowd down and he said, do you believe I can walk across to the other side? Did you see it? We believe. Do you believe I can walk across blindfolded? We believe. Do you believe I can walk across, go across on a bicycle? We believe. Do you believe I can go across with a wheelbarrow? We believe. We believe. Do you believe I can go across with a wheelbarrow and someone in it? We believe. And he said, then I need a volunteer. (laughs) And no one moved. Until his manager said, I believe. 
And he got in that wheelbarrow and Blondheim took him across. I don't care if you say you believe. What God cares is, are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let Jesus take you through life? Are you really willing to trust him? To do what he tells you to do. Talk is cheap. The word believe in the Bible includes all these things. It includes mental assent. It includes emotional commitment and includes your actions. But you can't have two without having all of them. It's all of them. Genuine faith ultimately can be seen in what you do. And this is the last part of the story and the last thing about faith that I want to bring up. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram. He sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said on that mountain of the Lord, it will provide genuine faith. Always trusts 100% in the lamb that God provides. Every once in a while I have someone ask me, how did they get saved in the Old Testament? I mean, there was no Jesus. How did they get saved in the Old Testament? It must have been something different that they did in the Old Testament. No. It's always been the same. You get saved in the Old Testament the same way you get saved in the New Testament. Here's how you get saved. By faith in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. By faith in the blood of the Lamb. You see, in the Old Testament, it was a literal lamb. You know, can you imagine everyone having to come to church with a lamb? Every, we bring them to the front of church, you sacrifice them, then you go have Pandora donuts. That's how church would go. A literal lamb. And you would push your hand on their head as you would slit their throat. And you had faith in the blood of the lamb. That's the rules. That's how he came up with. Sin had to be paid for by the blood of the lamb. But by the New Testament, God says, I'm going to come up with a new plan. I'm coming up with a new covenant. I'm going to come up with a way when they go to church, they don't have to bring a lamb. As long as they've trusted in the lamb of God. You see, this story is what's called a Christ type story what is a christ type story every once in a while in the old testament there's a story and it's so similar to jesus it's so similar to what he did and to what he accomplished to us on the cross it, it, it's like as if god is trying to give us a, an illustration of what's coming and there's like a dozen things in this story that all point to jesus let me just give you a few uh first of all i want you he says i want you to sacrifice to abraham sacrifice your one and only son What verse does that remind you of in the New Testament? The most famous verse that we have in the New Testament, John 3.16. Someone scores a touchdown, that dude's always in the end zone, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. He says, Abraham, what I'm asking of you today, I will do someday in the future for everyone. I will give my one and my only son. He says, I want you to go to the region of Moriah. Moriah, that mountain, that region area is mentioned two times in the Old Testament. Once right here in Genesis chapter 2. And the other time to tell us that this is the exact location where Solomon would build the temple one day. So within very few years, the Jewish people would literally go to this exact location where Isaac was to be sacrificed. And they would sacrifice lambs for the atonement of their sins. It gets better. You do know that within a mile of Mount Moriah is the Calvary site. Where Jesus was crucified. This is a big deal. This story is so such a big deal to me and to, to Sandy and myself. Um, when, when our second child was born, we had three names. 
that we were deciding to give her. Jessica, which is what she ended up with. Samantha or Mariah. That's what we were thinking. Apparently, she didn't know this, and we told her that this week. Did you know we almost called you Mariah? And Jesse's like, Mariah? Mariah? And then (laughs) she said, I'm just so glad you didn't call me Mariah. It's such a white girl name. I sat her down and I said, Jesse, you're white. I don't think she realizes that. <laughs> okay, let's go on. Um, on, the, <laughs> on the third day, they arrived at Mount Moriah. What, what is the third day point to? Is there any other story in the Bible where the third day is kind of a big deal? Yeah, it's coming up in two weeks. It's called Easter. I mean, you got detail after detail after detail. God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. You see, every single one of us deserves to die by our sin. I mean, that's what Romans says. The wage of sin is death. God says, no, I'm going to provide the lamb for you. And then the last part, I'm going to have the the band come up um, and and we're going to get ready for communion. A substitutionary lamb died in Isaac's place. A substitutionary lamb. One of the... um, Stories that is powerful if you understand this whole analogy of the lamb and the lamb and how it worked in in the Old Testament is when Jesus meets John the Baptist. John the Baptist is doing his thing. He's baptizing for the forgiveness of sins is what that passage says. And then here's what we read. And this I'm going to wrap it up with this. In John chapter 1, 29, it says the next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And you've got to imagine John the Baptist, baptize, and he's baptizing people, and everybody is crowding around, and all of a sudden he sees him in the distance. And when he sees him, it's almost like people make a way, and he starts coming, and here's what, here's what he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. See, if you don't understand the story of Isaac, and you don't understand the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, this doesn't mean much to you. But the minute you get it, It takes on meaning. You mean we're not going to have to bring a little goat with us, a little lamb with us every time we go to church? No, because you see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. What I want you to do as we wrap up our study time and we wrap up this whole series is realize a couple of things. You know what? This series is not about Abraham. This series is about Jesus. This book, the entire book, is about Jesus. Today, it's specifically pointing us to the Lamb of God. And as we wrap up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that screen. And I want you to look at the last verse, or last word in this verse. The word world. And mentally, what I need you to do is I need you to erase it. And I want you to insert your name in that verse. He saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of David. Of your sin. Today, we're going to wrap up our service time. We're not going to rush through it, but we're going to wrap up our service time by doing this thing called communion, Lord's Supper. And it's not anything magical, but it's what God asks us to do to remind ourselves what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
We're going to have a couple stations at the front, a couple tables here and in, in the back. And if you want, you can kneel. You can take it and go over to the side and kneel. But here's what I want to point out to you. I want to point out to you that the bread we're using today is what's called matzah bread. Why do I make a big deal about it? It's Jewish bread that's unleavened, which means to us it doesn't have yeast in it. When you taste it, it's going to be, it's honestly not very tasty. It's very, very dry. You say, well, why do we use it? We use it for the symbolism. In the Old Testament, yeast symbolized, it symbolized sin. So when they would celebrate the Passover supper and even some of the early Christians, when they would have this Lord's supper, they would use matzah bread and they would say, here's, we want our life to be just like this bread. Just like this bread is free of yeast, our lives is free of what yeast represents. It's free of sin. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do for the next five, ten minutes. We got a couple songs at any point in time. You can get up and go to one of the stations. But whether it's kneeling up front or back in your seat, when you take that cup and bread, I don't want you to just take it and eat it real quick. I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to say thank you to Jesus. Thank you. And number two, I want you to ask yourself if your life represents that bread, if it's really free of sin. You see, it's one thing to make sure that our sin is forgiven for eternity, but how about the last two weeks and all the garbage we've done and said? Before you take that bread, I want you to confess your sin and I want you to ask God to give you the discipline and perseverance to live in purity for Him. Thank you and confession. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this study and I want to thank you for how you stretched me. I want to thank you for Abraham and the very simple lesson that I will take with me from these chapters that we've studied from chapter 12. You were so pleased with him, not because he was perfect. You were so pleased with him because he trusted you. He obeyed you. He lived a life of faith when it wasn't easy. Father, help me be like Abraham. Help us be like Abraham. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never taken the step to embrace the Lamb of God, if, if you've never gotten in the wheelbarrow, you've said, I believe in your mind, but you've not let it sink in your heart, but you want to today, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one is looking, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Dear God, I believe that Jesus was the Lamb of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. But today, Father, I don't just want to believe. Today, I trust You. I trust You for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust You as my Savior. And from this day forward, I trust You as my Lord. I'm going to do the best I can from today on to live for You. Help me do that. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, first service, six people said yes to Jesus. I just want, if you'd made that prayer for the first time, could you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Just slip it up real quick so I could see. I see that hand in the front. Anyone else? Anyone else? See that hand in the back? Father, for the three people in this service and the six people in the first service, we just want to say thank you, Father, for touching their hearts and working in and through them. For those that prayed that prayer but maybe didn't raise their hand, Father, remind them in raising their hand doesn't make them save. It's what they prayed in their heart that makes them save. And Father, for so many of us that prayed that prayer months or years ago, we're now going to take an opportunity through communion and Lord's Supper to do two things. Thank you, God.
Thank you, God, for your son, the Lamb of God. And Heavenly Father, we confess our sin to you. Help us lead a pure life. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.